you want to get in on the action, we want to hear from you. Email us at faderoutemail at gmail.com with your questions, comments, picks, segment suggestions, you name it. We want to hear from you. We're on Instagram too. Slide in our DMs at Fade Route Podcast. Get at us. A little blue birdie told us we're on Twitter now. Give us a follow at Fade Route DNZ. Get at us. Welcome to The Fade Route with D and Z. Here are your hosts, D and Z. Welcome everybody to this week's episode of The Fade Route with D and Z. I am Z and we have a little bit to process in the world of professional basketball. And we're going to be talking about a lot of basketball today, a lot of good, a lot of meh, and we're going to start off with the bad. Recently, on his Twitch channel, Miami Heat Center, Myers Leonard embroiled himself in an anti-Semitic controversy while playing video games. I'm not going to utter the anti-Semitic slur that he used. It is reprehensible. It is something that should never be said. It carries as much weight, if not more, than the N-word. And that word should never be bandied about casually or used against someone. But what I find even worse is his half-ass limp-dicked attempt at an apology. He did not apologize on video. He did not apologize via press conference. He did not face his accuser. And we'll get to that in a second, too. He apologized via an Instagram post. And here is verbatim what he said. I am deeply sorry for using an anti-Semitic slur during a live stream yesterday. While I didn't know what the word meant at the time, my ignorance about its history and how offensive it is to be to the Jewish community is absolutely not an excuse and I was just wrong. I am now more aware of its meaning and I am committed to properly seeking out people who can help educate me about this type of hate and how we can fight it. I acknowledge and own my mistake and there's no running from something like this that is so hurtful to someone else. This is not a proper representation of who I am and I want to apologize to the Arizans, my teammates, coaches, front office, and everyone associated with the Miami Heat organization, to my family, to our loyal fans, and to others in the Jewish community who I have hurt. I promise to do better and know that my future actions will be more powerful than my use of this word. And frankly, that is just a useless bowl of word salad. To claim ignorance of that word, 
I mean, maybe Myers Leonard did not grow up around many Jewish people. Maybe he has not met many Jewish people. Many, Maybe he truly is ignorant. But as we all know, ignorance is never an excuse for anything. And... Maybe this is a maybe this is a problem with forums such as Twitch, where you are facing your public in a rather anonymous kind of way. Maybe that's something that needs to be dealt with on a societal level. But we're going to deal specifically with this particular instance. One person that has reached out to Mr. Leonard in order to help him with his issue is Julian Edelman of the New England Patriots who has come out and commented regarding the the situation and what anti-Semitic language and anti-Semitic behavior truly does to the Jewish people and how truly hateful and despicable that word is. And I hope, I hope Mr. Leonard is taking valuable time to think about what he has said and the ramifications of it since he's already out with an injury and is not going to contribute to the Miami Heat this year. He's also a free agent. He's taking a step away from the team. So I think we can effectively say that Myers Leonard is done in Miami and he might be done in the NBA for the foreseeable future. And here he is. I've known this guy since our days on Carousel Shoes, the last QB in St. John's history. Flight crew through and through. What's up, D? How's it going, man? Yeah, uh, very surprised to hear this from him. Uh, He's a young man, promising future. The fact that this happens while he's playing a video game doesn't make it any better. Uh, The fact that that's his trash talk, right? The, The fact that that's what he's using as trash talk is insane. Right, probably playing against like a seventeen-year-old kid or something like that. It's like, listen, right. you're you're a professional basketball player, and you're held to a higher standard than a regular person. And uh, I don't, I'm with you. I don't, I don't buy his ignorance on this. Can you understand? You get fired up and you say certain things you don't mean, but to go there and can just imagine if he used another ethnic slur what the ramifications with that would be i mean in this situation the owner of the heat is of a is of a jewish background uh, a lot of owners in the league share that same background uh i think it's going to be hard for him uh to combat this so we saw a similar thing happen many years ago with riley cooper where he was using inappropriate language. I believe it was at a concert. And um, this is just, uh, it's sad. It's sad that he said it. It's sad that it happened. And it's its sad at the direction that his career is going to take moving forward. Yeah. Uh, and it's all self-inflicted. Like, that's the most important thing that we need to keep in mind. Um that word did not need to escape his lips. There's no reason for it. And that was a choice. He made the choice. He made a bad choice. And now he's got to deal with it. The same way Riley Cooper had to deal with it after making the statements that he made at, a, I believe, at a country music concert. He would mouth off to a security guard or something like that. 
if I remember correctly. And most recently, Deshaun Jackson had a, uh, a little run-in with anti-Semitism as well. And like you said, professional athletes, I'm not saying you're a role model. I'm not going to go down that road. I- I'm very much in the same camp as Charles Barkley. I'm not a role model. Your professional athletes are not role models. They shouldn't be role models because that's just going to let you down when they do something terrible. If that's what you're looking up to, then you really need to reevaluate your situation. But if you have a public forum and you are using a public forum, you need to hold yourself to a higher standard. And this is the same conversation I had uh, with the Uber driver today, strangely enough that um, yeah, my rights end at you. So I don't have the right to say something so offensive and so hate filled. And it's total bullshit that you, he, you're a grown ass man and you don't know, you don't know what weight that word carries. It, all that tells me is that you slept through fucking history class, bro. Playing a video game? <laughs> Playing a video game. So video game. It, shows, it, it shows me that you're just weak as shit. And you really need to evaluate. And he'll be reevaluated on his own. Because, like you said, there are other teams on uh, there are other teams in this league. And maybe he won't be welcome for a while. Maybe he'll need to prove his worth. I mean, he'll get the opportunity to eventually because everyone deserves a second chance to show that they have learned their lessons. Apparently, unless your name is Ray Rice, but that's neither here nor there. Myers Leonard, you fucked up. This half-assed apology that you may not have even written, that your publicist or your agent might have... It's nameless. It's faceless. Jeez, I don't you, buy you it. imagine the nightmare that is if you're his agent. And you find this out. You're like, oh my goodness, what? A, oh, what am I gonna have? How am I gonna fix this situation? <laughs> He's lucky right. to have a job anyway, and now I gotta, I gotta write something for him to read. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't bode very well, especially he's not like a star player. It's and this was, you know, this was said in a video game. You can imagine what what he what he might say if he was really uh angry or really uh pushed to to limit on on certain subjects or certain things uh we we don't need we don't know what's said on the court i do yeah i do i do like the idea of julian edelman reaching out to him and kind of nicely really really nicely saying hey let's get together i'll educate you on it we'll have a shabbat a shabbat dinner we could talk uh that's that's class. That's classy because he didn't have to do that. And uh, no, he didn't have to. He he, he could have just uh, let this guy burn. Could have let this guy yeah, burn. Yeah, I mean the fact by that, comparison, you, the fact that people did are you see the Michael Rappaport video. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I by comparison, yeah. But you could, I just uh, you could see the appreciation for the subject and being willing to open up to the guy and say, "Hey, let's talk about it." Uh, you're you're already you're already gonna get bashed and you get thrown through the mud by other teams and people. But for Julian Edelman to come out and say, "Hey, man, I'm in Miami all the time. You want to meet up with me? We could definitely talk about it, and we can and you could ask questions. We can have a dinner. 
and go over everything with you. It's just it's just unfortunate. He's 27 years old. He's, I mean, not that he's had that much of a career and not that he's got that much to go, but, I mean, yeah, it's a, it's a wrap for him pretty much. No, totally. And, you know, like you said, class act, Julian Edelman went out of his way to try and be an olive branch to Myers Leonard. And all this really exposes is how much this stuff really hasn't gone away. We like to think that we're a more evolved culture, but no, it's just, it just lays under the surface. Nah, bro. And, <laughs> and, and it just, no, it just in the right moment, apparently playing a video game is the right moment when these things slip out and it just shows you that, you know, we still got a long way to go as a society. And it, it's, it's humbling and it's also simultaneously disgusting, but kind of is what it is. It's time for the fade in where we give a nod to the trending sports stories of the week. But let's let's pick up let's pick this up a little bit. I know we're we're kind of uh, trending a little downward. Let's let's talk about something cheery. Debbie Downer well, starting off the episode this week. Uh, Way to make everybody yeah. really tune in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, you know, like we got it. Sometimes there's some serious issues now out there. It's not all sunshine and rainbows. But for Dak Prescott, it's dollar dollar bills. Y'all. He's a guy that's seeing sunshine and rainbows today. He's just seen cold hard cash, bro. Four years, $160 million, 126 guaranteed, a full no trade, and a no tag provision. This is going to bite the Cowboys in the ass, isn't it? You know, I don't know. You know, I, I was looking at the deal, and I'm trying to figure out, like, who who's happy about this deal? And granted, he got a lot of money. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to say he didn't get paid. I mean, I believe... There's seventy, there's seventy five million. Oh no, you said one hundred and twenty six million, right? Guaranteed. One twenty six guaranteed. I think you're getting seventy five million the first year, but when I look at it, it's still a four year deal. Now, is that what he wanted? Did he want a four year deal? Did he want a six year deal? Like, what, what was the, what was his definition of long term? Was his definition of long term? I believe this contract will take him till he's thirty-two, and then the whole thing is, is now when he when he gets to the age of thirty-two, it's going to be well. Did you win us a Super Bowl? Did you get to the Super Bowl? Because that's going to predict if he gets an extension, right? I mean, we saw Aaron Rodgers sign his uh, lucrative contract at thirty-four, his one hundred thirty-four million dollar deal, which he's which he's still in, and I think he has an opt-out after the next season. And then we also saw Joe Flacco, and once he won his Super Bowl, he got his six-year, $120 million contract. So my thing is, is, is this what he wanted? And for Dallas, what were you trying to get? Like, were you trying to get less money for four years? Were you trying to spread this out over six years? I'm just curious where the disconnect was and who got what they wanted. Who Banded to make this deal happen. That's a great question, and I think I think the sweet spot, if I recall correctly, was somewhere in between five and six years, is what Dak Prescott wanted. But ultimately, this doesn't help anybody. I mean, it, it helps Dak's wallet now, but you now 
have a ridiculous amount of pressure on you to perform and not just perform like you've been performing. You now got to step up and be Troy. But does he really? Because he's getting 126 million guaranteed and it's a four year contract. His 75 million is coming in this first year. So does he really? All I see is, is he really just has four years to, to get to a Super Bowl or win a Super Bowl to warrant him getting the next contract because the next contract is going to be it's got to be in the Aaron Rodgers area. I know his contract right now is better than what it's Aaron's getting. I'm just trying to say, like, in terms of the next deal, the, the last deal, the deal that's going to take him to the end of his career. So I, I don't know if he really feels that much pressure, especially he's coming off of a leg injury. We don't even know if he can play for a man who could arguably be playing on just one leg next year. I, I mean, I, I think he did well. Well, this is going to also tie into our next uh, topic, but uh, you, you're having all this money tied up in a cap sport. We have to remember it's a cap sport. Yes, the gar- the signing bonuses and guarantees, like that stuff, is a little bit wonky. But you still have a finite amount of money that you have to spread among what 70 guys including your practice guy including your practice squad so but not only that yeah and then you compare that you compare that to what tom brady's doing like now right now like he's trying to restructure his deal so that he makes less money so that they can sign more players and this is the guy that's going to the super bowl every year so you got these guys getting paid you got aaron Rodgers getting paid you got um (laughs) Jared Goff getting paid, even if it's Russell Wilson, Carson Wentz getting paid, even if it's by another team, and Matthew Stafford, and, and then you have this guy who's saying, "Well, you know what? I'm supposed to make I'm supposed to make 15 million next year. All right, let's we could rework that. We could change things around just so we can get we can keep Chris Godwin in here on a franchise tag. Like, like I just uh, I don't think people get it. I don't think people get it, and it. I don't know who that says more about. Does that say more about Tom Brady or does that say more about the players like Dak Prescott and the people we mentioned? Just to put things in perspective, well, the Philadelphia Eagles are paying Carson Wentz $34 million this year not to play on their team, to play on another team. Exactly. Um, I think it's a generational thing, to be honest with you, because if you look at – I mean – and. Even like Ben Roethlisberger is kind of on the cusp because he took the money and now he's trying to get out of the money to get better players around him and keep his team together. So Breeze took less money. Brady took less money. Like These other quarterbacks, they're very much in the get as much as you can while you can because it's that you know it's a non guaranteed league, pal, and they'll cut you in the in a heartbeat. First of all, that's a skill position thing. They don't cut the quarterback. They cut the guys around the quarterback. So whoever's telling you that is blowing smoke up your ass. So, Dak, like, congratulations. I'm, I'm glad you got your contract so we can finally stop fucking talking about it. Like, as a Giant fan, it just – I have to rinse my mouth out after I, wa- after I after, talk about we're it. We're going to have to find ways to put football on the show now because this Dak contract is signed. <laughs> right. Well, now we got to talk about him on the field. That's the thing. 
that's probably the dirty little secret. If we keep talking about his contract, we don't have to talk about his performance on the field. So that's neither here nor there. But this, this speaks a little bit more to a generational gap and also a little bit of desperation from Jerry Jones and makes you wonder, as the owner, as the GM, has he lost a little zip on his fastball? Yeah, I mean, I think I texted you when the deal went down. I was like, Jerry's lost it. Jerry needs to retire. I mean, you're talking about the Dallas Cowboys, and I believe they have, like, the number 10 pick, right? They have a pretty high pick this year. Which they could have used on a quarterback. A quarterback. Uh, I mean, it's done. I, 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 for one, did not see this happening. I, I thought for sure he was going somewhere else. And, I mean, to me, Dak is in a great place. He's got his guaranteed money. He's got a four-year deal. And if I'm him, I'm not reworking it for anybody. Uh, even if in two years I suck and the team sucks, I'm not reworking anything. There's nothing I'm I'm, I'm going to sit here and I'm going to play this out. And when I turn 32, then we'll see what happens. Well, I don't know. Think about it this way. Here's what immediately came to my mind. $126 million guaranteed, right? I immediately thought of Bobby Mania. <sighs> July 1st. Happy Bobby Bonilla yeah. Day. He gets a million bucks every year, probably till the day he dies. Yeah. And that's kind of what, you know, in a deferred money situation, Dak Prescott, that's generational wealth. And it's the gift that keeps on well, giving. Yeah, I mean, so, you alluded to this uh, a little bit, of, a little while ago, but this is also a time when the NFL salary cap is going down by 8%. It's going to be $182.5 million. Uh, at, he signs this deal. And then across the league, I think there's going to be a lot of veterans that are going to lose their jobs. I mean, you've already seen the Lions say they're not franchise tagging Galladay. He's going to be a free agent. The mm-hmm. Saints are strapped. The Saints are in a uh, the Saints are in a oh shit position where we need to cut a lot of players or trade people. So the Saints let go of Sanders today, or they at least said they're not going to they're mm-hmm. not going to keep him on. Uh, uh, the Giants got rid of Kevin Zeitler. Riley Reef, I think, is gone. Just those are the four, like the four top guys that have just—it's just happened to. But yeah, I mean, this is a product of the system. This is what happens when you don't have assets. But in the seat, this is you know? also—I mean, this is the first time it's going down. I think since 2011, on average, it does go up, and it's—it's it's going down significantly from last year. I think last year is closer to 200 million, but. The salary cap in football is what keeps the league young. It's what keeps the league going. It's also what what aids in constant turnover. You're constantly seeing teams from the bottom going to the top because you literally have to manage your budget and manage your teams appropriately. A lot of people say that, you know, part of you getting a rookie a rookie quarterback is is you need to win the Super Bowl or get to the Super Bowl on his rookie deal. Because when he's on his rookie deal, you're able to pay all the other players around him. Like, think about it. When Josh Allen's contract is up, they're going to have to pay that guy. They're going to have to back up the truck and pay that guy. We talk about Baker Mayfield. You know, when his contract is up, if he has a good year this year, they're going to have to pay him. Same thing with Darnold, and that's why everyone's saying is maybe they should draft a quarterback because they're not going to be able to pay Sam Darnold because he's going to warrant so much money that it's not going to be worth it. And I think I think the salary cap in football is good, but I do think it hurts veteran players. It, it, people that still have talent that are maybe in their late 20s, early 30s, 
you, it's not worth it to pay them. I'll go draft a guy. I'll bring in a guy. They might not be as good as you are, but we'll figure it out. Well, then you also put the teams in a weird position. And it was it's kind of a weird spot to announce this salary cap after you already opened the franchise tag windows because the Giants tagged Leonard Williams at the old salary cap number. This salary cap comes out, and now they're $9 million over the salary cap. So you just done <laughs> fucked yourself, and now you had to get rid of a Kevin Zeitler who was protecting Daniel Jones because you were working off an old set Yeah, of I mean, we were going to talk so, about, like, the franchise tag and some of the surprises, and, and Leonard Williams was actually one of the ones I was surprised about. I actually wrote it down because you, have a, you, you got a guy, right, that came over from the Jets – you must really believe in him. You must really want to sign him long-term to franchise tag him. Another guy that hit the franchise tag, these are these were surprises to me, was Chris Godwin. And for, for him, I don't know how he feels about it. There's a part of me that thinks he's upset because it's okay. I just won the Super Bowl. I was one of the best receivers on this team. It's my turn to get paid. I know the Jets got money. I know the Jaguars got money. I know there are teams like looking for a wide receiver. I could get paid, and now he's kind of stuck, right? He's, I mean, it's a, it's a good. They, they have a good nucleus in Tampa. They have a good team. It's not bad, but you know there are a lot of wide receivers there, and it's not like he's not the number one guy. I mean, as good as he is, Mike Evans is the guy. You assume AB's not coming back since they franchised him. I can't imagine them bringing AB back now. And then the same thing with a guy like Allen Robinson. Allen Robinson's probably like, fuck, man. I just had my best season. I'm ready to hit the open market. Again, I'm looking at the Jets. I'll go back to Jacksonville because now they're going to have Trevor Lawrence. I'm looking to get paid. And of all places, I get franchise tagged here in Chicago where they don't even have a fucking quarterback. Like, you've got to be kidding me right now. Like, this was supposed to be my payday. Now you go into this season. Now let's say he gets hurt. Or let's say he has a down year. Now he's lost his window where he could have got paid. And it just, I feel bad for the guy. Because, I mean, I was talking to a lot of friends of mine that are Jets fans today. And they're pissed because they wanted Allen Robinson. And they can't get him. Well, I mean, you lost out on Allen Robinson. But because of the, the salary cap crunch, you now have a shot at Kenny Galladay. You now have a shot at Hunter Henry, so you can upgrade uh, at multiple. Those positions. guys aren't Allen Robinson, though. But it just in in your perspective, in your opinion, who do you? I'd rather have no, two not... guys than one personally. When you're that depleted, <laughs> when the Jets are that depleted. No, I what I was going to say is, is when you think of the franchise tag, do you like it from a player's perspective, or do you like it from a general manager's perspective? Because me. I think of it as a player perspective, and I'm getting fucked here. I don't think about it from a general manager's perspective, and it gives me control. It lets me keep my player one more year. It lets me kind of uh, stay the course. If I play my cards right, if I'm stupid like the Washington Redskins, where I franchise Kirk Cousins over and over again, then and I'm stupid enough like Minnesota to then sign him to a, a guaranteed contract, then it really messes you up. But if you have a GM that knows what he's doing, like, um, the Jets. I thought the Jets did a smart thing by franchise tagging May. They gave him $10 million. That's fine. I thought it was very smart that the Packers didn't franchise tag Aaron Jones. Because if I'm the Packers, I'm saying to myself, I have Dylan. Okay. I'm not saying that right. the market is soft for Aaron Jones. I think it's very strong. But 
He knows he's going to play better here. He knows the scheme. He knows where we're about. I can re-sign him at a lesser dollar amount. Because if I re-signed him under the franchise tag, I'm going to have to pay him $11 million this year. However, if I sign him to a long-term contract, let's say I gave him a four-year deal, I could probably get him at $8 million, $9.5 million. That, you know, that's the way I look at it. How do you look at it? The way I'm looking at it is that, personally, I mean, it's an average of the top five salaries right. at your given position. For, for those of you that don't know what the, 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 the metrics behind the franchise tag is. So, I mean, if you have a guy like, like a Chris Godwin, who is, let's just say he's not, he's not top five. He's not a top five wide receiver. Let's be real. But you bring him in at that salary for a year, like maybe that's a little bit of an incentive for him to stay. But where you start to lose it is where you start doing it to the same guy over and over and over again. The Washington football team just did it Sheriff, Sheriff, right? Brandon I saw that, Sheriff. saw that. Yeah. But, he just did it again. Different regime. But here's the, but here's the thing, and, like, and just so people understand, like the the idea behind the franchise tag was, it gives you more time to work out a long term contract with the player. That's the whole idea behind it. Like Dak, Dak actually signed a franchise tag. He's going to be, he's already going to be re-signed, but for sake of timing. He signed a franchise tag, but he's going to be re-signed. They've already worked out the deal. That's the whole perspective right. behind it. But if you're a team like the Buccaneers, I, I agree with you that Chris Godwin isn't a top five wide receiver, but he has top five talent, might be even a top 10 receiver. I get to keep him one right. more year under the average when he could have went out there and made bank. And like we were talking about, Football careers are short. You got to make your money when you can make your money. We don't know what's going to happen this year. And for him, it's like, man, should I really go out and play with this hamstring injury? Or really, should I go out and play with this broken finger? Because now in the back of your head, you if you have to think about, well, what's going to happen next year? Or what's going to happen at the end of this year? Right. Uh, yeah, I mean, you definitely, it's definitely akin to arbitration. It's akin to like owning a bird rights in other sports, but it's just a, a way, a, a means of control to where you can, you know, either work something out or get another year of another, another year of a person. But, but, but I wanted to, un but, I wanted to know, like, how do you look at it? Do you look at it as it's, it's, it's a valuable for it's valuable for players or is it, you think it's good for, I think oh, it's mutually okay. beneficial. Okay. I think when you when I think when when used right, okay. it is mutually beneficial. Like the Dak Prescott situation, not where no, not like Kirk Cousins. That was poorly handled. Where, where oh, basically no. you just right, where you, you <laughs> just basically kicked his ass out the door. They ruined the lives of the Washington Redskins and the Minnesota Vikings at the same time by franchising that man. Was it two or three years in a row? And Alex Smith, because they traded for Alex yeah. Smith after that. But, uh, you know, one thing that came out of uh, football this week was the Baltimore Ravens had suggested a change to overtime. And I was really excited to talk about this segment because I really think it's a great idea. Um, their idea is instead of having just, you know, in the current format, you have the coin flip. If the team who gets the ball goes down and scores, 
kicks a field goal. The defensive team gets the ball and gets to try to score. But if the offensive team scores, the game is over. In the Ravens format, what they've suggested is that one team gets to pick the placement of the ball, and then the other team gets to pick if they're going to be on offense or defense. And now in the two suggestions they submitted is one where, you know, it's sudden death. And then the second uh the pers- uh, idea they have is that it's a seven and a half minute overtime. So the time is limited to the end of the game. So I wanted to know, what did you think about the proposal? We have some, we have some coaches that are on board, such as Bill Belichick. And then we have other teams and coaches that say, this is just to benefit the Ravens because they have a kicker that can kick it from anywhere. <laughs> right. So that definitely it definitely benefits a team with a kicker like a Brandon McManus or Justin Tucker, somebody who's a little bit more automatic, but it's one of those that I kind of want to see to see how I truly feel about it. Cause it's just like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to take it. I'm going to take it at their one yard line. All right. I'm going to play offense. (laughs) Uh, You know, it's just like, it's a, it's, it sounds gimmicky when you explain it. So I would definitely like to see it on the field, in actuality, before I can make a determination on it. And that's where, you know, leagues like the AF and the XFL and these other leagues to would test be it beneficial because if, right. if you had a working relationship with them, you can actually say, hey, guys, can you do us a favor? Can you put this rule in? We want to see how it's going to work. And it's, it's like Major League Baseball with, I think, the, um, the Atlantic League, I believe. They tested out the runner on second base, and now, Somebody unfortunately, <laughs> thanks, Rob. That this is, you know, the re- the weekly Rob Manfred's an asshole. Gotta get those shirts segment. made. <laughs> yeah, exactly. With his face. All right, all right. So let let's role play this. Face. Okay, you are you are the head coach of the Green Bay Packers. You are going into overtime against mm-hmm. the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, you get to choose. Where the ball goes, where are you placing the ball? I'm going to place it. I'm going to place, place it at my 40 okay. yard line. Cause I know I got Aaron Rodgers. I know I have deep threats. If I want to matriculate down the field, like you said, I have Dylan, I have Williams and I got Crosby. So even if I if I get close, but it's like it's fourth and seven, and I'm I only made it to your th- like thirty yard line. I know well, I you chose you chose to put the ball there at your forty yard line. So if I'm yeah. the Vikings, I'm yeah. gonna say, well, I'm gonna play offense. <laughs> Why? You just made a mistake. You're right. You're right. But just, just what I, what I was, what I was kind of alluding to was if, if I'm a team that believes in my offense, I'm gonna put the ball at the five yard line. I'm gonna put the ball at the five or the ten yard line, because even okay. if I have to go 95 yards, I'm gonna be okay. Because I will, I will, I will be able to pick up at least one first down, and if I got a punt, I'll punt. Yeah, I mean that makes sense, but you know, it definitely—that's why I'm saying this needs to be workshopped a little bit. It's great in theory, 
but you got you got to try and you got to see you got to make it work and you know this is where a better relationship with college football would be helpful too it would also help in college football so you don't have seven yeah well overtime. i think the whole idea is it, it's giving everyone a piece of the pie it's giving one everyone an equal share in the decision making of this overtime and a lot of people like to point at that overtime i think it was two or three years ago two years ago but no it was two or three years three years ago between the Patriots and the Chiefs, where pretty much Tom Brady and the boys got the ball, they stuffed it all the way down the field and scored and went home and won, went to the Super Bowl because of it. And everyone was like, well, you know, we'd have liked to see Pat Mahomes get the ball or we'd have liked to see, like, what he would have done. I've always been of the mindset that, man, if you're going to win this game, you got to play both offense and defense. And that's the whole thing. Like, if you yeah. don't win the toss and you got to play defense first, stop them. Stop them. Show that you should be stopping them. And if you can't, then you don't deserve to win. But having said that, I do like the idea of this rule. Um, I think they should test it out uh, because it, it just would make for an interesting decision to make. Because if you're an analytics team, if you're like the Cleveland Browns or you're like, uh, you know, like the Los Angeles Rams, you're going to have to really come up with a mathematical formula that can figure out your win probability from different parts of the field in a sudden death or an overtime scenario. And no matter what decision you choose, whether you choose where the ball puts, where you put the ball, or whether you choose to be an offense or defense first, that win or loss is on you. If you, you cannot blame it on anybody else. Because a lot of people like to say, well, they got the ball first. They came down and scored. Well, no, no, no. You're going to get to choose an aspect. You're either going to be able to choose where the ball's going or you're going to choose where you're on offense and defense. So win or lose, you are having a part in why, you know, the outcome was the way it was. I got to say, though, there is just really one simple way to kind of fix this. Ten minutes, you play it through. And whatever happens, happens. There's no need for, oh, both sides can possess the ball. Because both sides will possess the ball. Because it's an actual extra quarter of football being played. It's not sudden death where you have to worry about a coin toss. You can even just, okay, the opening coin toss. You defer to the second half. The other team automatically gets it because they had it to start the game. So there's there are ways that you can That's go about idea. this like to where it feels... It feels the like only gimmicky, thing, the only, you know, and to me, no, it's definitely gimmicky. gimmicky. It's, it is. Uh, I think it's better than putting a man on second base in the extra innings. The only problem, anything's better, anything's better than problem that. You run into with doing a 10 minute overtime is you have the chance of a tie happening again. And you've also extended the play even longer. Like you've increased the chance for injury even more. And let's be real. When teams go into a game, they game plan, right? We have, a, we have a game plan that we're putting into place. By the time you're hitting overtime, you're running the same plays. There's, there's nothing. You've run 80 plays in this game already. Like, there's nothing different that this team hasn't seen. So, you're going to run into the same right. thing you ran into the third and fourth quarter. So, yeah. That... that yeah, no, you know, you're 100% right. And if you've done your job and you've game plan, 
that's, you know, that's going to make for a very boring 10 minutes. But that's when you got to reach down deep into your bag of tricks. You know, you got to reach down deep into the the back pages oh, of that oh, playbook. That's right. That's what Adam up. Gase needs to do. He just needs to make it to an overtime, and then he can really outcoach somebody. Now I get it. <laughs> I'm just wait. I, I'm waiting for him to actually coach somebody. Never mind, outcoach somebody. We're gonna run to the right. We're, what, what, what are we gonna do? Run to the right. I said run to the right. Ah, fuck. Well, the NBA All-Star game was this past weekend, and frankly, I didn't watch it. I'm just going to be real with you guys. I have no interest in All-Star games whatsoever. It is something of a relic of a bygone era. Let's be real here. How many of you actually watch the fucking Pro Bowl? You're lying to me. You're lying to me right here. Yeah, you're you're saying, you're listening to me, and you're like, yeah, I watch it. Really? Bullshit you do. Major League Baseball All-Star Game. The last time it was taken seriously, Pete Rose almost <laughs> murdered Ray Fawcett. He was never the same after that. He was never the same. That that. Man, ruined, no. Ruined his life. Ruined that man's career. The one guy, one guy took it seriously. Of course, it was Pete fucking Rose. But it's a chore to get through, man. Like, now that every team's represented, the same little league, you don't need to have every team represented. If teams suck, they suck. They don't need an all-star representative. And interleague play has killed it because when I was growing up and when you were growing up, it was a treat to see because I get to see Randy Johnson face Tony Gwynn. That never happened. Or Greg Maddox facing Cal Ripken. With interleague play, especially now that there's 15 teams in each, each league, interleague plays all the fucking time. So it's diluted the product. I'm one of those people. I'm with Howie Rose. I think interleague play is terrible for baseball. And it's actually taken and it's cheap in the All-Star game. And, oh, we're going to watch the Home Run Derby. Oh, let's watch the Home Run Derby. If you want to watch the Home Run Derby, just watch a regular season baseball game. It's fucking ridiculous with regularity how often the ball leaves the fucking yard. So do not tell me that the Home Run Derby is exciting. It's not. That brings me to the NHL skills competition. Okay, that is kind of cool. Because you're actually you have people against each other. Okay, that you you have a goaltender, and it's like oh, it's a puck relay kind of thing. And <laughs> oh, you're you're fastest skater. Okay, that's, all right, that's fine. You don't really get to see it all the time. Have you ever watched the NHL All Star Game? It's three on three, different divisions. It's like, what the fuck is going on here? Like, and it was because I remember this vividly. The last game, the last time before they decided to do this, it was like seventeen to ten. No, nobody goes to the fucking to, nobody watches hockey for 17-10. But what is this shit? That's not hockey. And then that brings me to the NBA. I don't care about the slam dunk contest. It's been played out. I don't certainly don't care about the three-point contest. The only thing I care about is if Bruce Bowen is out there sticking his foot under the guy and he's got to make a three while being defended. That is impressive to me. And they never play defense in the, the NBA All-Star game. It was what, like 190 to 170 or some nonsense like that? But go ahead. I, I'm, gonna, I'm going to give the rest of the time to you and make I'm not going to make you care. I, the one thing I will say that was interesting is that Joel Embiid and Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons actually caught COVID the week of the All-Star game, and they're lucky that they didn't go 
because they would have gotten everybody, all the stars of the NBA would have gotten sick, and then they would have went back to their home cities and got their team sick, and it would have caused a disaster of tremendous proportion, which is exactly why the NBA, the NBA All-Star Game shouldn't have been played. Um, what I will say oh is, God. you know, when I was a kid, I did enjoy watching the NBA All-Star Game. I, I liked watching Vince Carter, or I liked watching Tracy McGrady, Kobe and Jordan sharing the same court. You know, seeing the likelihood of certain teams facing each other in the finals was fun. It was more, it was more about the star impact. But the problem, in my opinion, is now that I'm older – Okay, I've already seen that. Like I've seen it, I've enjoyed it. It was great. But now that I'm older, I'm in for more of the competition, and there's nobody competing. And the whole th- the whole thing is is it's no. become more like the NFL Pro Bowl, which is just horrendous. Like I don't even they have to they have to just get rid of it, it or just come up with a skills competition or a flag or something because that is terrible. But another issue I think with the NBA is there are so many little all-star teams now, right? I mean, we're going to talk about Blake Griffin to the Nets, but you got the Nets that have Durant, Harden, Kyrie. Now they have Blake Griffin. Then you have the the Clippers who have uh, Paul George, and then they have Kawhi Leonard. And then you also have the LA Lakers who have LeBron, Anthony Davis. Like, these teams are star-studded. So when they play, that is like an all-star game almost. Um, To go back to what you were talking about with baseball. I still like the baseball star game. I don't like the home run derby. I don't give a shit about the home run derby. Uh, I really do like the baseball star game because it, because there's too much pride on the line for me to let Albert Pujols hit a home run off me. That's not happening. In fact, I want to make him look stupid on this curveball. Like they're, they're competing to a certain level. I remember uh, in Derek Jeter's uh, final all star game, he had this sick play in the hole, and he tried to throw out. I think it, he tried to throw somebody out, and they beat it out. They're like, no, nah, I'm not. He's not. He's not throwing me out on this play. You know, I think it was McCutcheon actually who who he tried to throw out on that play. So it's 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 just things like that in baseball that I still enjoy. I still like to see the catchers working with new pitchers, and how that whole dynamic uh, comes together. But. I do have a suggestion for the NBA All-Star Game, and it might be gimmicky, and I don't care. It's way better than that trash I sort of watched a couple days ago. How about you take the All-Stars, and it's the All-Stars. Listen, if somebody can't play, if Anthony Davis can't play, then Devin Booker doesn't get to go, okay? That's not how it works, because you know what? If Devin Booker's named an All-Star, then he gets a bonus for that shit. So, no. You don't, if you're not named an all if you're named an all-star and you can't play, there's no replacement, okay? We take all the all-stars, you line them up east and west, and somebody, I don't know if you have some, maybe LeBron, a captain, or or maybe some or a coach or somebody, create three or four three-team units and make a little tournament out of it and have the teams play to 11, and at the end, the best three of east goes against the best three in the west, and the game store to 11 and everybody sits in the stands and watches who we, you know, played in the tournament. That seems much more fun to me. They could borrow the idea from the big three and make You know what you could do? Play in the half court, have gimmick shots where that are worth five points or four points to make it interesting. But anything's better than the trash that we saw a couple of days ago. Bring back rock and jock. 
a lot of those, you know, take a lot of the ideas that Rock and Jock had because I remember they were Rock doing that Jock. shit for that a long cool. time. That was cool. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. So they had elements. They did. Of I think they had a I think four they had a five point shot, shot or a ten point shot that was really high. I remember. Was... Yeah. Exactly. So you know, think outside the box, which apparently isn't that far outside the box because MTV was doing it years ago. But I do like your idea about replacements because think about well i'm gonna take it back to the pro bowl i'm sorry in advance but you got guys begging out of the pro bowl to where you have four what is that like maybe tom brady hasn't played in a pro Pro bowl Bowl? in 15 years really if he he well he also says his shoulder hurts when he does go when he's supposed to go he goes um i have a shoulder injury i can't play he played like two or three pro bowls and he's like i'm done with this because it's stupid it's not worth your time yeah. Yeah. And you know, like like you said, there are bo- yeah. there's money tied to this. There's bonuses tied to this. And you know, there, there was a great line of uh, years ago, arbitration, Charlie Finley um I mean, he took a player to arbitration and said, "We finished last <laughs> with you. We can finish right. last without you." So, that's like so so what you're telling me is that you made the pro bowl after six guys decided they didn't want to go. So I'm not no, paying yeah. you that. But I'm it's, not paying it, you this bonus. No, the Pro, the pro no, Bowl is just, no. it's just a bunch of guys not half-heartedly playing a football game. But I do think that if you change the dynamic of the All-Star game, if you make it a three-on-three tournament with money, at, with money being the grand prize, I think you'll have people compete a little harder, especially if the games are to 11. There's nobody that's going to get hurt playing to 11, and it'll, 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 it'll spark – It'll be more enjoyable. David Stern, I'll send you a letter. Yeah, I mean, it... <laughs> well, it'll definitely inspire more inside play. And a guy who would uh, definitely take advantage of that is Blake Griffin, who's now a member of the Brooklyn Nets. After working out the buyout with the Detroit Pistons, uh, supposedly there was interest from the, the Blazers, the Warriors, and ultimately, Blake Griffin decided to go with the Nets. Does this make the Brooklyn Nets even more of a, an unstoppable juggernaut? Or does this really this not have any impact? This impact so great that LaMarcus Aldridge said, I want out of my Spurs contract. <laughs> Him and the Spurs agreed to part ways today <laughs> after he saw Blake Griffin go and sign with the Nets. He's like, really? Really? I can, I'm going back to Portland. Um you know, I, I, I mean, we talked about how Blake is, like, washed up. And uh, somebody asked me, who's more washed up player, Blake Griffin or Ryan Braun? I was like, man, that's really close. Um, <laughs> uh, here's the thing. If, De- if Kevin Durant continues to be hurt and he has a hard time during the, the end of the season, I do see Blake being uh, a valuable person on the team if he can play like he played in 2015. Because if you got James Harden, DeAndre Jordan, and Blake Griffin, that's that's a really that's not bad. Uh I'm not sh- I'd, I'm curious to see if Kyrie can play with him because what I'm thinking is is that Blake is going to be part of that second unit uh when if, when Kyrie comes onto the court. And mm-hmm. so if they can prove that they can have chemistry and if if Blake wants to play, like he's got to show that he wants to be there. Um 
I think it could be valuable. I don't think it makes or breaks their season. I don't think it really means anything, but it'll help them during the stretch, and it could potentially help them compete more in the playoffs if, for whatever reason, Kevin Durant is injured. If Blake Griffin is any facsimile of the player he used to be, this is a great, a great addition, especially if you can possibly put together some chemistry with Kyrie Irving, like you said. Um Hell, maybe Blake Griffin can even try to dunk for the first time in three, what, three years, two years, (laughs) you know, try and recreate some Lob City. Why not? It diversifies the offense a little bit. And, you know, Blake Griffin, he might just have been victim of the same thing that a lot of good players are victims of. They're in a shitty circumstance. And you kind of get mired in the muck of being in a shitty circumstance. And then all of a sudden you get to a new spot and you feel 10 years younger. Yeah. Ask James Harden about that. He looked like he looked shot. He looked, his fat ass looked fucking shot in Houston. Now all of a sudden he's in Brooklyn and he looks like the James Harden of old. So he'll definitely 12 and five. Like, that's what he was averaging on the year. He's got to work off the rust because he hasn't played in, what, like a month and a half. So he's definitely going to need some time. But that's also good for him because he's also resting up. Any nagging injuries he might have had, he should be good to go. And he's got chemistry down low with DeAndre Jordan from their Clippers days. So I think it's a good move. Now, it also, like, apparently the LaMarcus Aldridge situation occurred, and you're sparking other teams, other players, to kind of make this move and kind of get someplace else. And we're still waiting on Andre Drummond. I don't believe he signed anywhere else. But um, now that there's a spot open in Miami, I think that might be a a good landing spot for him. Uh, LaMarcus Aldridge... I don't know what he's got left in the tank, to be honest with you. Like maybe he's just maybe going back, going to a a new team or back to the the Blazers will definitely motivate him again. But I mean, it it remains to be seen, but I definitely think this will invigorate Blake Griffin, not to the Blake Griffin of old, but to something we haven't seen yet. And it'll definitely give the Nets a little bit extra depth and you can, it never hurts. It never uh, hurts you know, in the one of the things that we uh, didn't talk about in the last couple of weeks is I think we were waiting for more information to come uh, to light. Uh, was the Tiger Woods uh, car crash uh, left him in a really bad situation with a shattered ankle, uh, amongst other injuries. Uh, you know, one of the things that, you know, goes through my head with this is, you know, I'm surprised more people aren't talking about how reckless this was. Now, we don't know all the details, and I guess maybe people are waiting for the black box and waiting to really find out what happened here. But in pure speculation, it just it just sounds like he was going a little too fast on a highway, and he, he almost ended his life. And thank God he didn't hurt anybody else's. But to me, this seems like the second time he's been in a pretty bad car wreck. And, you know, I just think this time around, we take the correct approach 
to the situation, if we find out that he was exceeding the speed limit or exceeding over 100 miles per hour, I think the PGA and the different companies that support him need to take some kind of action here. What I find more interesting is that he had no memory of driving. Now, whether that's retrograde amnesia from the crash or I was looking today for a little bit extra research and a little bit more information. There's speculation that he may have been zonked out on Ambien and was driving. So, yeah, and Ambien just, you know, it's a sleepwalking is a sign is a uh, side effect of Ambien. So sleep driving could definitely be in that situation. Uh, It could be something like that. So if that is true, and I'm not saying that it is, I'm just saying that there's speculation that just further, it just, it makes you realize that you shouldn't be rushing out to wear the red on Sunday and support tiger and eulogize tiger. Like as, as if he was dead, like I thought that was very odd. I mean, Colin Murakawa, like most of these guys grew up watching tiger woods. I get it. I wish him a speedy recovery. We'll wait to see what happens, but I hope he turns out. Okay. Like something, a quick little sound bite. That's really like all you need to do. The coordinated effort to put into supporting and showing excess love when all the facts aren't out, it's a bad look. So it remains to be seen what happened. And we're, you know, I'm also rooting for Tiger Woods to have a speedy recovery. I mean, nobody wishes ill on anybody, but I also want the facts to come out. So if that means that we got to wait for the black box, we're waiting for the black box. And, um, you know, we need to have all the information. And personally, I like having all my information before I make a comment or react in such a way. I'm getting hungry over here. Should have cooked up some dinner. And if you're looking for a new cooking show to binge, check out As You Eat It on YouTube, hosted by me, Chef Z. I invite you into my home and show you what and how I cook when I'm off the clock as a chef instructor. You're going to learn fun recipes and creative methods to empower and inspire you in the kitchen and take it to the next level. Cook how you want to cook. Eat how you want to eat. Eat as you eat it. That's As You Eat It, available only on YouTube. AZ, you eat it. Check it out, and let's get cooking. The Audible. All right, boys and girls, we are trying something new today, and we think you're going to love it. So we have a scenario for you, and we can either run the play, or we can call an audible and change it up. Scenario one, Russell Wilson's remaining wish list of teams. Are you no, running the play or are I'm you calling to, an audible? I'm going to run the play. I, I, I think uh, I, I like, I really like the saints for him because, you know, they're cap strapped. 
So that might be a good way for them to unload some players and bring him in, especially if Drew Brees retires. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't really like the Bears situation, but they did keep Allen Robinson. They have a really good running back. Their defense is formidable. They are just really missing a quarterback and maybe a coach. So I- I'm, on b- I'm on board with them. And uh, I'm not not sure I really understand the Oakland perspective. I think the Oakland idea is really just for more for his wife, who is a Sierra, a professional singer. But, you know, John Gruden's known to be, you know, good with quarterbacks. So you just that division is crazy with Herbert and Pat Mahomes. I just don't think it's a good idea for him to go. But I'm going to I'm going to run with it. I'm going to call an audible, but ah. I'm going to add to the list. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to take off. I'm going to take off the Raiders because there's too much of a love affair between Gruden and Carr, and I'm going to put on a team that I think Russell Wilson would benefit from being on, and I think the coach would love it as well. Oh, and that is that the idea. New England <laughs> Patriots. I, you did. You did. So all credit where credit is due. And the more I thought about it, it makes a ton of sense. You know, Russell Wilson gets to keep moving forward with this career. Like, you're not going to cook. Like you get that, get that idea out of your fucking head. You do not cook. You don't cook in Bill Belichick's kitchen. You can peel potatoes. But if you peel potatoes well enough, you're going to have a nice stack of fries with a Lombardi trophy. Another team that is intriguing just because of all what everything they have around them is the Jets. Like the, the Jets have so much money to work with, and you can really kind of play around with that. And that's a scenario where you could actually let Russ cook because you there's no offense around him. Like that's the beauty of having Robert Sala there. He's a defensive guy. You put in, you can put in whatever offense you want at that point. It's a blank slate because Adam Gase is gone. So I would add those teams. We're going to audible, but just for a a couple more. Scenario number two, the Dodgers and the Rays rotations, the defending world champions, the defending National League champions, and the defending AL champions. Both of them, you call uh, no, I'm, you run I'm, I'm running the play. I, I, I'm loving these rotations. I, I, I think it's pretty easy for me. I think the Dod- the Dodgers are stacked. I mean, we've been talking about this for weeks now. Their rotation is good. Price called the GM this week and said, hey, man, if you want me to go in the bullpen, I'll go in the bullpen since Trevor Bauer is striking people out with one eye. Uh, I, <laughs> uh, he's experiencing Clearly they don't need anybody. I, I think they should really just see what happens during the season. If they need to move him into the, you know, let him, you know, start out as a starter. And then if one of the starters goes down, he can take their place. If they need him to be a middle reliever or to shore up the bullpen. And if Jansen can't get his shit together, then let him close. I mean, he's, he's that talented and they're that good. Now the rate, the raise rotation. Now don't get me wrong. I mean, I I'm sticking with the Dodgers here, but man, Rose Bray's rotation is pretty good. They get Archer back this year after he wasted all his time in Pittsburgh. Um, I love Tyler Glass now, but I think he needs to develop another pitch. He's outstanding stuff, 
But it seems he becomes predictable after the third and the fourth inning, which gets into trouble. Michael Walker sighting. Michael Walker's back. Love that guy. He's still got a lot of he's still got a lot of left in the tank. Uh Rich Hill is good. <laughs> no, he's all right. He's all right. He's with the yeah, I think he's got it. There's nothing left uh, in the tank. Rich Hill is good <laughs> if he can stay healthy. Nick Anderson's their guy out of the bullpen. We know that because that hap- that's that's what got them into trouble in the playoffs. And then uh Diego Castillo is is he's, he's filthy <laughs> at times. He's filthy. So, I mean, I'm 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 sticking with these two guys. I, I these two rotations. I love it. Um, Dodgers. I like more than the Rays, though. Okay. I'm running with the Dodgers. They have depth, which is what you need. You can use Price as an opener. You can use Price out of the bullpen <laughs> as your long guy. You can use him as a loogie. At the you know, or or you can have him just go an inning. You can even have him close if Jansen goes south, like you mentioned. The Rays, I think they need more, so I'm going to call an audible. You're looking at Glass now. I saw Waka last year. You say he's got stuff in the tank. He went from the National League East to the American League East. That's going to be a tough. That's going to be a tough sled. Archer, I don't know what he's Archer 100. has left. Rich Hill's what 43 years <laughs> old. He's a hundred. He's a hundred and two. He's a hundred and two. And then exactly. Yeah. And then Ryan Yarborough. Yeah. He's no. So I didn't even mention. Like, Ryan Yarborough's not a starter. So I, I'm calling the Reds. I have the number one overall prospect. I have Wander Franco. He's ready to go right now. I'm putting him at shortstop, and I am dangling Willie Adamas to the shortstop needy Reds and flip a coin, Castillo or Gray, who are you giving me for Willie Adamas? I think a one-two punch of Glasnow and Gray or Glasnow and Castillo, that takes them a little bit higher than I would have put them with the presently constituted rotation. But that's just me. I, I really think that like that would be a game changer and they're young and controllable. Castillo is young and controllable and you can kind of give him that team friendly contract to where he could be the next archer. So I'm going to kind of split the baby here. We're going to, you know, we're going to run with the Dodgers and audible on the Rays. Are you in need of air care maintenance or service? I have the company for you. Air Care Technicians. They service the Westchester and Northern Bronx area and can help you with all your heating and cooling maintenance and service needs. Just give them a call at 914-315-1547. Again, that's 914-315-1547. Or shoot them an email at aircaretechnicians at gmail.com. These guys are the real deal as they are veteran-owned, licensed, and insured. Make sure to tell them that DNZ sent you. Order up. We're ordering up the National League Central this week. From five to one, worst to best. It was pretty easy you for me to pick out number five. One thing's for sure is the Pirates are coming in last, okay? Aside from <laughs> losing Chris Archer, they really didn't do much in the offseason. 
They literally have nothing positive to talk about. There's not. No, I don't give you a shit about like Dustin, Dustin Fowler. Fowler their whole team is terrible. I mean, I guess they're trying to rebuild for the future and they're trying to save money this year. But man, what a waste of time! Now, I think we're, I I I think this this week we are going to be completely different in our choices because the National League Central is really. It could go anyway, but this is how I got. At number four, I know you're going to be surprised. I actually have the Milwaukee Brewers, okay? I, I don't see a really good team here. Uh, Yelich had a terrible year last year, and we could chalk that up to the shortened season. That's fine. But they failed to sign arm talent like Jake Odorezzi, and they they brought back, like, rotting carcasses of Lorenzo Cain. So I just – yeah, even another rotting carpus. Good. They, they got can, Jackie Bradley. They can, they can catch fly balls. They're not going to be able to hit or do anything else. <laughs> so, I got the Milwaukee Brewers at four, and a lot of people say they're a sleeper. I don't see it. At number three, I have the Chicago Cubs, and this is why. I'm placing them here assuming Baez, Rizzo, and Bryant will play like the back of their baseball cards and their contracts say, but they're only going to do that for half a season because they're going to get hurt or they're going to get traded, and things are going to fall apart. Ross is not Madden. There's no John Lester. There's no Kyle Schwarber. There's no shine this year. So third place for the Cubbies. Number two, again, I know you're going to be surprised. I have the St. Louis Cardinals. Uh, Ariendo, Arenado, uh, Goldschmidt, they anchor that infield. I think they're going to play very well together. Flaherty's going to show he's an ace. He's got good stuff. He's going to be fine. Molina's back behind the plate where he belongs. He's a living legend. No cards are going to make a run at the championship this year. I'm not sure if they're going to win or get there, but they're going to make a run. Okay? And then, in first, because I, I, I thought they were great last year, is the Cincinnati Reds. I thought this team was legit last year. I think Sonny Gray and Castillo will be a one-two punch. Moustakis was, had COVID last year. He got hurt. I think this year he comes and shows that he serves the contract he got. I think Castellanos is going to be this year's Yelich. I think he's going to light it up. I think he's going to lead the league in home runs. He's going to he's going to go nuts. And Doolittle is going to close the door for them and help them wrap up the division. What say you? Well, you are correct in the agreement of who's going to finish in last place in that division. Oh, the... It's awful. Pittsburgh Pirates are the drizzling shit. The drizzling. The best player on your team is Gregory Polanco, and I guarantee you he does not finish the the season (laughs) as a Pittsburgh Pirate. He's Exactly. The best player on your team. He's done. He's gone. From there, there's a lot of meh in this division, and it's mostly on the pitching side. I'm looking at these rotations. I'm just like, I'm, I am not impressed. I'm just not impressed at all. And what? number four, we're also in agreement, the Milwaukee Brewers. But for me, but for me, for me, it's because of the rotation. Woodruff, Burns, Sounds like a cemetery. And Brett Anderson is still kicking around the major leagues. Lindblad. Yeah, Lindblom, Hauser, Lauer, like what the fuck? Like there is nothing on. You still have Josh Hader. Who's gonna get the ball to Josh Hader? 
Like Josh Hader will be lucky if he has 25 saves this year. Uh, it's just not great. And then you look at, yeah, great. You added Jackie Bradley Jr. That kind of, that moves Avi Garcia into a bench role, unless you trade Christian Yelich for some much needed depth and help. But you know, it's it's very mediocre, very mediocre. Number three, I'm not in love with the St. Louis Cardinals rotation. I'm sorry, I love that lineup. I just do not love that rotation. Meh. Flaherty, great. Everybody else, uh. <laughs> like the ghost of Adam Wainwright. He's still alive. Like, he's like, I mean, come on. Like, I I love Wayne. I know I love Wayno. I love Adam Wainwright. But dude, you gotta know when to fold him. Then you have uh the Korean pitcher that they signed, Miles McCollis. <laughs> he was big in Japan. Whoopee! And another situation, another situation. Jordan Hicks is a closer. Great. Dude throws 105 miles an hour. Who's getting the ball to Jordan Hicks? Like, you got, that's great. Jordan, you guys you have in the today? back end. That's, nah, that's wonderful. Probably not. <laughs> but, I mean, Edmund, DeYoung, Goldschmidt, Arenado, Yachty. I mean, the outfield is a little weak, but. They have bats, and those bats will play. Second place, the lineup is a little bit stronger, in my opinion. If Jake Arrieta can actually beat Jake Arrieta again, the Cubs, you know, for one year, I like their chances. Kyle Hendricks is – Kyle Hendricks is so underrated because he can pitch. The dude doesn't throw that hard, but he knows how to pitch. And Zach Davies, eh, he's all right. Arr. Trevor Williams, he was a pirate, so that tells you all you need to know. He he, he failed up, so good job, Trevor. And Alex so Mills were no so hitter outside last of Kendrick. Who do you let's trust not forget on that, that. Team <clears throat> to give you twenty five solid starts? Yeah. Out of who they have right now, I I don't, but. That's also the the scenario that they're in because they could still trade Chris Bryant. Nothing is in nothing is set in stone here. Even if you lose Chris Bryant, you have Hap, Rizzo, Baez, your boy Jock Peterson, Jay-Hay. Wilson Contreras. It, even if Jay Hay has a good year, Jay Hay kid, the Jay Hay kid, and that leaves you by default with the Cincinnati Reds, the cash-strapped Cincinnati Reds who were selling off players and basically got rid of their entire believe, bullpen because they don't have believe, any money, and they're still going to win this division. Cincinnati what Reds the hell does that division? tell you? What That's does that tell you? But, but, dude, you just got to look. I mean, it. you got to look at that roster. Like, I mean, Akiyama, we don't know what he is, but Castellanos, Vado, Suarez, Moustakis, Winker isn't bad. They're a little weak at shortstop. If they get Willie Adamas, they're better. Tucker Barnhart, they need a catcher. I mean, Tucker Barnhart is a nice backup. But Gray, Castillo, Maley, Miley, Lorenzen, they added Sean Doolittle. They got players on this team. And considering the fact that they let go of they, – they traded Iglesias, they let go of Bradley, this team could be even better. And that's kind of scary. So – We'll see what happens, but there's a little bit more, a little bit of disagreement, but a lot more agreeing with this division. But uh, 
Let us know what you think, boys and girls. Hit us up. IG, Fade Route Podcast. We're on Twitter now, Fade Route DNZ. Email us, faderoutemail at gmail.com. Thanks for tuning in tonight. You can catch our podcast every Wednesday nights on the Anchor, Spotify, or other uh, outlets where you listen to your podcasts. Until next time, stay faded, everybody. Thanks for listening to this episode of our podcast. If you like what you heard and want to hear more, be sure to like and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Rate us five stars. Leave us a review. Turn on subscription notifications and tell your friends. Spread the word. Spread it wide.